Choir, thank you. I heard someone say beautiful, and, and it was, um, particularly the message. So thank you for that beautiful message to us this morning, for us. As we come to hear God's word this morning, I'm going to be asking for a couple of you uh, during the sermon to read brief passages of scripture for me. So I need, I need two volunteers, and if I don't get any volunteers, I get voluntolds. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. Marie, thank you. Um, can you be ready to read Romans 5, verses 3 and 4? Romans 5, 3 and 4. And at any point in the sermon when you feel like reading that, just read it out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll cue you when you're to read it. Romans 5, 3 and 4. I need. Uh, let's, let's make it even. I'll ask for a male volunteer this time. Um, all the ladies can relax. I can wait. Wonderful. Thank you. James 1, 2 to 4. James 1, 2 to 4. And uh, Rick, when I call for that, you can read that out for me. As we come to hear God's word this morning, let's pray. Lord God, we, this Sunday, as each Sunday and every day of our lives, we stand in need of a word from you. God, I'm well aware that um, these dear folks don't need another word from Graham. And indeed, I don't need another word from me. We need to hear from you. And um, by your design, you have placed me here to stand in this place to read your word and to preach your word. And so my prayer and our prayer is that we would hear from you this morning. And that any words that are just mine, that they would fall flat. And, um, and that you would speak very clearly your word to us. Thank you for scripture. Thank you that you've given um, scripture to us. Thanks that it is alive um, and, and a two-edged sword that is ready to cut into our lives. And so we pray, God, in your grace, would you do surgery on us? Um, in your tender and loving care for us, would you speak into our lives by the power and presence of your spirit among us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Or as we said last week, Habakkuk, whatever you, however you prefer to say it. It's on page 663 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you're having a little trouble finding it. Habakkuk, and we're going to read from chapter 2 this morning, the first four verses. Habakkuk 2, 1 to 4. Just to set the scene for you, last week we took a look at chapter 1 where Habakkuk presents a complaint before God, which is very much um, like our complaint sometimes, like, how long, Lord, are you going to put up with the evil and injustice? Um, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Where are you in this mess, God? That's uh, Habakkuk's complaint. The Lord answers him. Uh, Habakkuk isn't very much fond of God's answer, so he re-complains. He reissues the complaint. And, uh, and now we're picking up this dialogue between Habakkuk and God where um, God begins to answer him. And we'll be looking at that this weekend, next week, actually. God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint. Let's hear God's word from chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. 
Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. This is God's word to us this morning. Thanks be to God. Last week, if you weren't able to be with us, one of the key points of last week was this whole idea that Habakkuk um, assumed a posture, a particular posture, and the posture was a posture of unconditionally faithful wrestling, unconditionally faithful wrestling. He wrestled with God, um, wrestled with God about what God was doing or not doing, about what he thought God should do, but in the process of wrestling, in the process of giving God a piece of his mind, He was unconditionally faithful. He gives his complaint to God as part of this unconditionally faithful wrestling. And now God begins to answer Habakkuk. And the first four verses of God's answer in in chapter 2, I want to focus on the theme of waiting. Waiting. It's something that you and I are all very familiar with. Waiting is a part of our everyday lives. Uh, We have a picture um, in, uh, in our minds sometimes of, of the hourglass. The hourglass. It, it, it symbolizes time, which you lost an hour of um, this past night. But, but the hourglass symbols more than time. It, it symbolizes that, that process of, of waiting. You can't hurry time. We need to wait. Now, if you're computer literate, that theme, that picture of the hourglass might not be as nostalgic for you because when i see the hourglass i don't i don't see this beautiful image behind us i see that little tiny hourglass if you work on the computer you know when you you click on something and it just appears it's a little tiny one in the middle of the screen it keeps flipping over flipping over how many of you remember this little thing on the computer um that's the computer's way of telling you i'm getting there i'm thinking computing you're gonna have to wait it's coming hold on I talk to that little hourglass. Come on, you stupid thing. Let's move. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And it doesn't go any faster. We as a society don't like to wait. Yet in this passage, Habakkuk gives us a picture of waiting in a positive sense. Gives us this picture of waiting on God. Waiting on the Lord. One of the verses that I committed to memory when I was a child was um, Isaiah chapter 40, the last few verses of Isaiah chapter 40. And the very last verse of Isaiah 40 um, says, um, but those who, in one translation, who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion. I mixed translations there. Um, But the key is those who wait upon the Lord. And it speaks about it in a positive sense. Those who wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed. They will rise up on wings like eagles. But it begins, the rising up begins by waiting. And not just waiting, but waiting on the Lord. I would submit to you that waiting on the Lord is the primary task of one who is an unconditionally faithful wrestler. One who in troubled times, one who when things don't make sense, wrestles with God in an unconditionally faithful way, the primary task of that individual in those times is to wait, 
to wait on the Lord. Now, I am well aware, um, even though I've grown up in a church, I'm well aware that the term waiting on the Lord is a very, very Christian term. It's a very, if you will, churchy kind of term. If you're new to church or if you know people in your life who are new to church and you, you use the phrase waiting on the Lord, it's probably not going to mean a whole lot to them. It's probably going to sound very Christianese. Waiting on the Lord. And I say it sometimes. It rolls off my lips or I hear it roll off of uh, other people's lips. And, and sometimes I catch myself or I, and I think, what does that really mean, actually? Well, I'm waiting on the Lord on that one. Sometimes what that means for us, if we were to be honest, when someone says, well, um, you know, this is what I think you need to do in this situation. And we say, well, you know what? I've been praying about it. I'm going to wait on the Lord. That's our Christian way of saying, mind your own business. I'll decide this, but we don't want to say that. So we say, well, you know, thank you for your input. I'm going to wait on the Lord on this one. What does it really mean to wait on the Lord? Because Habakkuk's doing it in here. What does it really mean? Does it mean we sit around? Like we wait for the bus. We just park ourselves and read a book waiting on the Lord. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It's not passive. I would say to you this morning in this passage, there's some some words used and some images used that create an active picture of waiting, what it means to wait on the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to move through a series of those pictures so we get a better sense of what it means to wait on the Lord, particularly in troubled times, particularly when, like Habakkuk, what's going on around us or in us or in our lives is troubling. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, here's the first one. We're called to wait patiently. We're called to wait patiently. Now, believe me, this is not um, this is not me speaking from a place of um, acquired patience. <laughs> this is me speaking to you and speaking God's word out of this is where I am right now, trying to learn what it means to wait patiently in my life. But Habakkuk 2, 1 to 4 speaks about Habakkuk waiting for an answer to his complaint from God. And God speaks up in the first four verses of Habakkuk 2, and he says, essentially to Habakkuk, he says, an answer, a revelation is coming. But, verse 3, it's going to take some time. Verse 3, God puts it this way. The revelation is coming. Though it linger, wait for it. Literally there, it's that picture of though it tarry. That, you know that old expression, tarry? There it is. Though it tarry, though this, this, this answer from me, this revelation from me, it's going to tarry, it's going to linger. Wait for it. Literally there, be patient. It will certainly come and not delay. Those of us who are in or those of us who have been in troubling times where we have wrestled with God know this all to be true. The answers don't come quickly and the answers don't come easily. And God's call to Habakkuk is to wait for his answer and to wait patiently. It's going to linger, but wait for it. In your waiting, my friends, it's as if God is saying to us, in your waiting, wait patiently. Don't, don't chafe, don't agitate, and above all, don't give up. Wait patiently. When things in your life don't make sense, in the midst of trouble and hardship and questions, in the midst of a world where injustice seems to flow, wait and wait patiently. Well, how? 
quite honestly, how? If we're called to have patience in suffering, patience in questions, patience in troubled times, patience in this, in this world, how, Lord? How? It's easy for me to say that, hard for us to do. Well, first and foremost, it always strikes me, uh, and this is good news for me, patience is one of those things that God grows in us, right? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit, His fruit, is love, joy, peace, patience, etc., Ultimately, patience is not something that you can generate in your own life. Some of us are just more naturally patient than others. Some of us aren't. But either way, patience is not something we can generate by effort, ultimately. It is an act of God, His work in us. Which leads to the second point. Patience in suffering... Patience in general, but particularly patience in suffering and patience in troubled times comes not from us, but from God. And therefore, we need a humble and a submissive spirit toward him. That kind of spirit is so needed in our day, a humble and submissive spirit to the living God. You see, as one author put it that I read recently, um, some of us have a problem and, and I think we all encountered this problem at one time or another. But the problem that this author pointed out was the problem of assumed omniscience. We're diagnosed with the problem of assumed omniscience. Omniscience means um, one who knows all things, can see all things and knows all things. God is obviously by nature omniscient. But sometimes we get diagnosed as his followers with assumed omniscience. We make plans, we have an agenda for our own life, we think we know what is best, and we think we know the way it should go. We don't declare that, we don't declare ourselves omniscient, but we, but we practice, we behave as if we were. We make the plans, we make the agenda, we set it, and we just think, well, this is, this is the way it needs to be. And then we, we panic when things don't work out as we think they're supposed to. At best, we panic. At worst, we start you know, saying, God, how come you're not following my plan? God, this is the way it was supposed to go. Why are you making my life so difficult? Assumed omniscience. There's not a humble and submissive spirit. James chapter 4, verses 13 and following um, give a, a sense of this, where it says in there, James says, you know, we make plans. Today I'm going to go here and do that and, and, and all those kinds of things. Um, but he makes the point in James 4 that ultimately we need to submit to God's will, if it is God's will. Yes, we can make plans. We do. We all have calendars. But ultimately we say submissively and humbly, Lord, these are my plans. But not my will. Yours be done. Ultimately we have a humble and submissive heart. And that doesn't just go for our plans on the calendar. It goes for when things go wrong and for when we're in troubled times and the plan hasn't come through and, and the plan seems to be caving in. That's especially when we need a humble and submissive spirit to say, Lord, I don't understand. But I will endure this patiently knowing that you have something different in mind here. My plan didn't work out, but what's your plan, God? I humbly submit to your plan for this troubling time. Romans 5, 3 and 4. Marie, can you read that in a... I'm not miking you, so just read it in a booming voice. 
Thanks. Rick, James 1, 2 to 4. I know that some of you have been around long enough in church circles to already know this, but I'm going to tell you again because we need to hear it. And, and perhaps for some of you this is new and you need to hear it for the first time. But those two passages point to a, a powerful biblical truth that the trouble and hardship within our spiritual journeys produce character and hope and maturity. That's a powerful, powerful lesson. And we need a humble spirit to come before God and say, God, this is not what I would choose. But I surrender my plans to your higher plans and my ways to your deeper purposes. I will be patient in this And allow you to shape and form in me what you want to shape and form. Waiting patiently, my friends, is not a passive sitting around waiting. It's active surrender to the will of God. God, I don't understand this. And I thank you that I can ask my questions. But at the end of the day, I will submit my plan to your plan, to your deeper purposes. And I will patiently wait. Secondly, we are to wait perspectively. I'm not even sure that's a word, to be honest with you. I'll just state that up front for you English majors out there. Um, I did read it in one book, um, so I'm not the only person who's invented this. So um, we're just going to go with it. But it it makes a good point. We're going to wait perspectively or wait with perspective. Chapter 2, verse 1 in Habakkuk gives a beautiful picture. And there's there's some disagreement among scholars about whose voice is chapter 2, verse 1. Is it Habakkuk's or is it God's? Depends on how you translate the Hebrew there. I personally think it's probably um, Habakkuk's. Um, but So we're going to go with that. And he says these words in chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. Leave the first part of that just for a moment. We'll come back to it. I will stand at my watch. Focus on I will station myself on the ramparts. On the ramparts. There's a word and a phrase you don't hear very much anymore nowadays. Um, the ramparts literally are the high places. Um, back in the day when cities were fortified with walls, um, there were ramparts around the city. There were places in the wall that were, that were towers, literally. The closest thing that we could come to now, visually, would be to go um, you know, take a trip sometime out to Matsqui Prison. Um, say hi to Bruce Kearney when you're out there. Um, but, but if you see a prison, you can see that there's, there's towers situated where, where guards can be and they can keep an eye on things. That's the, that's the picture here of this rampart. It's literally a high place. If the city didn't have walls, they would have a high, you know, the highest point in the city would be the rampart. And the idea was that you were just simply, the ramparts put you up high, um, where you could see what was coming. Guards would be stationed up there where they could see from that perspective, they could see what was coming that they needed to alert the city of. If if it was bad weather, you know, they didn't have the 11 o'clock news to tell them when the bad weather was coming. They would just station someone, and from that high point, they could see storms coming, and they would alert the people. 
uh, they might see enemies coming and they would be able to alert the people. They, they might see reinforcements coming to help them and they could encourage the people. Hey, from my perspective, this is what's coming. You can't see it down here, but here's what's coming on the ramparts. The ramparts gave proper perspective. And so here's Habakkuk saying, okay, I'm going to wait for God's answer. And where am I going to wait? On the ramparts, in the tower. You see, waiting on the Lord for Habakkuk is not some passive thing where he puts his feet up and waits on the Lord. He says, you know, to the ramparts, to the tower. Because waiting in the tower puts the issue, the situation, the circumstance, the problem, the struggle, whatever it is in your life, into the larger context and perspective of God's redemptive actions in the world and in your life as his child. From that high point, you can wait actively. You can wait with perspective. Let me give you an example. Some of the struggles we face in our lives, uh, it could be debt, Uh, It could be a relational struggle. It could be an illness. But on the ground in our lives, from that perspective, we can sometimes just get absorbed in the struggle. Uh, Even what's going on in the world. God, I just, all I see, like like Habakkuk, injustice and and evil. All All I see is evil winning. That's all I see, God. All I see is this debt. All I see is this relational struggle. All I see is this illness. And from my perspective, God, it looks like I'm going to sink. It looks like I'm going to drown. And God says, I want you to wait on the Lord, but go to your tower. In the tower, from God's perspective, we begin to realize that whatever our struggle, whether it's debt or a relational issue or illness, something else, whatever our struggle is from from that perspective of God, we realize, you know what? There's really only one thing that will ultimately make us drown or sink and that is the struggle of our sin and from the god's perspective we can see god has provided for that in jesus christ and through faith we can receive that and accept that and no matter what else is going on whatever else makes us feel like we're sinking or drowning ultimately nothing can make us sink or drown from god's perspective we need to hear that we need to wait perspectively get into the tower From that perspective, we can see the reinforcements God's calling in. When we're down in the trenches, all we can see is the struggle. When we get up top, we can see, I see how God is providing. Do you see that? We wait with perspective when we get in our tower. The Sermon Plus material that is in the bulletin this week is labeled Sermon Plus in the announcements Again, Sermon Plus material is just designed to give you a few things to think about um, prayerfully as you go throughout your week. So you can take the bulletin with you. It's on the church website as well. Just to kind of keep um, the pump primed, as it were, of what God's trying to say to you in your life this week. But one of the questions in there um, asks you to identify an issue or problem or struggle you are facing and asks you to wrestle with this question. What is God's tower perspective on what you're facing? So this week, God, let me get in, my, in, in the tower. Would you give me your perspective? Waiting through struggle perspectively. Here's the third one. Waiting obediently, obediently. The first part of verse 1, let's come back to that. I will stand at my watch. Now, those of you who have um, got a background in the military, 
um, or that kind of thing, you'll know standing at my watch. That's your post, right? I will stand at my post, Habakkuk says. I've asked my questions. I'm going to wait for an answer. And yes, it's going to be at at, um, the tower. That's where I'm going to wait. But I will stand my post. I will not leave. I will do my duty. Habakkuk is struggling with God, but he won't leave his post. That's the picture last week of him remaining loyal. I'm going to wrestle with you, God, but I'm going to be unconditionally faithful in the wrestling. I won't leave my post. I will remain loyal. And my friends, I think God's word would say to us, you may be waiting. You may be struggling, confused and hurting and waiting for an answer. But wait obediently. Obedient waiting is not passive waiting. Again, we don't put our feet up. You ever heard the term ladies in waiting or servants in waiting? It's an old, old term. Ladies in waiting and servants in waiting. The picture of that wasn't that they had their feet up. They were ready to serve their master at a moment when the, when the master called for service, they were, they were waiting kind of, I was thinking about it actually earlier this week. I forgot to mention this in the first service, but the, the best picture I can give is if you own a dog who likes to go for walks, that dog's always ready, right? It may be sleeping, but all you have to do is get the leash out and rattle it. Ready. It's not passive. It's, the dog, it's ready. And that's the sense here is that, that, that we are servants. Um, yes, we're waiting on God, but we are ready to walk in obedience. We're not lying around. Hear this. In troubled times, sometimes, in confusing times, sometimes, when things don't get, make sense to us, we are often tempted to stop. When God doesn't make sense, sometimes we're, we're tempted to stop praying. And admittedly, there are seasons in my life where I say, you know what, God, I just don't feel like praying right now. But, but I'm tempted to stop praying just because I'm so confused. Or, or sometimes we're tempted to, to stop reading the Bible. Ah, just, things just don't make sense right now. I'm just going to stop. Or sometimes we're tempted, to, we're tempted to stop going to church in troubled times. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm going to stop doing those things, stop going to church, stop praying, stop reading scripture, because things in my life are just confusing right now, and quite frankly, I'm not getting much out of praying, or I'm not getting much out of coming to church, or I'm not getting much out of reading scripture, so I'm just going to stop. You ever heard yourself say that or someone else say that? A parishioner one time told John Newton. John Newton was an Anglican minister back in the 1700s. He wrote a few hymns you might recognize, Amazing Grace. Uh, you might recognize that one. Um, John Newton. But he was, a, he was a preacher. And he had a lady um, come up to him one time and, and say that she was going to stop praying because God wasn't answering her prayers because of all the trouble in her life. And he just nodded and said, hmm, that's interesting. And his response was, Madam, I can assure you that you will get nothing out of not praying. Very well said, Mr. Newton. We don't wait passively, my friends. We wait obediently. We're not to leave our post. Christianity is a long obedience in the same direction. We can wrestle with God, but we're still unconditionally faithful, ready to serve, ready to walk in obedience. Sometimes in troubled times, we need, need to keep praying. 
when we don't feel like it. We need to keep reading scripture when we don't feel like it, when we think we're getting nothing out of it. And we need to keep coming together as a fellowship even when we don't feel like it. And say, God, I'm not going to abandon my post. I'm going to wait for you. Listen for your voice. Fourth, God-centrically. Now, um, this is Timothy Keller's expression. So, first of all, just to let you know that, because, again, I'm not sure if I'm making words up there or not, but, um, and also just to give him credit for this. This is, uh, these, a number of these thoughts are his, but it's so clear and concise that I want to share them with you. In our waiting, Keller says, there is an inherent danger. And the danger is that we would, we would wait on God's answer or God's provision instead of waiting on the Lord himself. That we would wait on things from God instead of waiting on God. The book of Job touches on that theme where Satan says to God, hey, you know, you got this servant Job and God says, yeah, he's doing really well and, I, and, and he loves me deeply. And, and Job, uh, Satan basically says, you know what, I think Job just loves you because of all that you've given him. So take it all away, strip him down um, from all you've given him and he'll curse your name. And God says, okay, give it a whirl. You can't touch Job, but give it a whirl. And so everything's taken from him, his wealth, his family, his health. And Satan thinks, when I take away everything that, that God has given him, Job's just going to walk away from God. And you know the story that, that, like Habakkuk, Job wrestles with God, but he doesn't walk away. He doesn't curse God. Here's the issue. In times of trouble, there is an opportunity. And the opportunity is this. Times of trouble are our opportunities to see our love for God mature. To see our love for God mature. Think about it as, as individuals, as people. In infancy, as little babies, it's all about us. It's gleefully and wonderfully all about us, isn't it? That a little baby, they cry, everyone helps out. You know, all you need to do is grunt as a baby and everyone feeds you and changes you and you know, dotes on you. It's all about you as a child. And it should be. Because that's the stage you're at. But when the little baby is 45 and expects everything to be done for him and expects the whole world to revolve around him, it's not so cute anymore, is it? Why? Because the 45-year-old is supposed to learn that as you grow, you begin to realize it's not all about you. They're supposed to mature. It's the same thing in matters of faith. As spiritual infants, when we come to faith in, in Christ, um, uh, oftentimes it, it, it is all about us, and it should be all about us. We, we come, um, sometimes we come, just come to God by faith because we want something from God. We want peace, or, or we want direction, or we want forgiveness of our sins. For sure, we come saying, God, I, I, need, I want and I need something from you. And, and so we come, and, and it's all about us. God gives us what we need, and even the church fellowship um, helps us. And it, it is all about us in our spiritual infancy. But gradually, we need to grow up, Right? We need to mature. And our love for God needs to mature so that we learn to love God for who God is without any benefit from Him at all. Does that make sense? I can just keep repeating it. Does that make sense? Yeah. That was, that was a question, actually, because it's such a key thing. Our love needs to mature. This is a mature love. Waiting on the Lord. Instead of waiting to get things from the Lord. In His grace, He does give us 
He does give to us. But a mature love says, God, I'm going to wait on you just because you're you. I'm going to worship you and praise you just for you. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray just because you're you. And I love you and worship you. Get this. Troubled times, difficult times, confusing times are the incubator for that kind of maturing process. We've been talking and we will continue to talk this year about first love passion. If you're at the AGM, you'll know that that's one of the themes for this year, developing a first love passion for God. That's what I'm talking about. That's maturing love. That's a love that says, God, you are my first love. You don't have to give me things. I, I want more of you, God. And here's the good news. When we're in that incubator of difficult times and that, that, that maturing love is, is formed within us, when the cloud lifts and the, and the difficult times subside, we encounter a peace and a stability in our faith that we never had before. We can see that through those confusing and difficult times, our, our, our love matured and we're in a different place. And we realize, I'm with God, I follow God, not for what he gives me as some sort of cosmic Santa Claus, but because I love him and I want to worship him with my life. I am with God and I follow God because he's God. In the Sermon Plus material this week, one of the questions asks you to wrestle with, what's the practical difference between you waiting on God in a particular situation and you waiting on God for an answer of some sort or for something. What's, what's that practical difference in your life? Something to wrestle with this week. Fifth, and finally, we're to wait joyfully. We're to wait joyfully. Chapter 2, verse 4 is a powerful um, verse. It's a very important verse in Scripture, actually. We could preach a whole sermon or two on it because it's this particular verse, chapter 2, verse 4, um, that Paul picks up in Romans and in Galatians and the writer to the Hebrews picks up They quote this verse from Habakkuk. It's clearly a very important verse. And and I can say an awful lot on it, but let's... um, I just want to say a couple of things on it under the context of joyfully waiting. The righteous, those in right standing before God, live by the reality of the gospel, the redemptive action of God in our lives. Even in our waiting, we live by faith. And that means that even in our waiting, we trust in and we rest in and we rely upon God's redemptive action in our lives. For us, this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, his redemptive action in our lives. Our waiting on the Lord is not just holding our breath. It's not just gritting our teeth and bearing it. There is is an active joy in our waiting, even though the circumstances might be difficult. Remember a few months ago we did a sermon series on joy, and I said there's a difference between happiness and joy. Because happiness depends on our circumstances, but joy is bedrocked in who God is and in his redemptive action in our lives. And that's what I'm talking about here. We can wait in difficult and troubling times joyfully because of our faith and trust in his redeeming work in our lives. Luke chapter 12 has this great parable of uh, that Jesus tells of, of a master who goes off to a wedding banquet and leaves his servants in charge. And the master eventually comes back and, and, uh, and Jesus in verse 37 of Luke 12 says, it will be good if the master returns and finds his servants watchful. Finds his servants watchful. And then he says this, I tell you the truth, or literally, verily, verily, I say unto you, 
The master, Jesus says, will dress himself to serve. He will have the servants recline at the table and he will come and he will wait on them. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the future? Master's gone away. We, the servants, are here. We're to be watchful. We're to wait on the Lord actively, even through difficult and troubling times. And a time is coming in the future when the master will return and, and he will, it says he will dress himself to serve. The NIV loses it, loses the, the, the richness there. It literally means he will gird up his loins. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend using that in everyday language, but he will gird up his loins, which literally means he'll take his robe and he'll tuck it into his belt. And, and they did that back then to show I am ready to give myself fully to something. He, the master will come and he will ready himself fully. He will be ready to focus all his energy on something. And what is that something? He will tell those servants who have been so faithful in serving him, he will have them be seated and he will wait on them. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm going to come. There will come a day where I will come. And if you wait on me in the meantime, I will come and I will literally wait on you. I will give all my full energy to serve and to honor you. How do we know he's going to do this? Because he, that, that's his character. That's what Jesus did in the past. John 13, just before he's crucified, he girds up his loins. He tucks his belt in and, and his, his cloth in. He takes off his belt. He gets ready and he serves by washing his disciples' feet. And he says to them, you don't understand what I'm doing, but you will get it very soon, referring to his crucifixion. I'm going to serve you fully. I'm going to wait on you on the cross. What God has done for us in the past, he promises to do in the future. So what does that have to do with my now? Well, in my now, whatever my waiting looks like, whatever the circumstances, whatever the struggle, I can wait with joy. Seeing how God has served you and waited on you in the past, being confident in how he will wait on you in the future, brings joy in waiting on him in the present. And so we wait. And God calls us to wait patiently. He calls us to wait perspectively. He calls us to wait obediently. He calls us to wait God-centrically. And he calls us to wait joyfully. My friends, this is God's word to us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let me ask Lori Newman if she would come and even as a response to what we have heard, that she would lead us in prayer before we close our service.